All right, so we're six chapters in to the story of Abraham. Sorry, Genesis 12. Here we are in chapter 17. And as we've worked through his story so far, the best analogy that you can really give of his life is that of a pendulum, all right? As you look at Abram's life through these interweavings of the chapters, it just feels like there's a swinging back and forth, chapter to chapter, where Abram goes from belief to disbelief or obedience to disobedience, right? Like, I mean, you see it from the very outset, Genesis chapter 12, that's the whole entire story right there. You start off, God calls him to leave the land that he's in. Abram goes in belief, but the very end of the chapter, what happens? They're going into Egypt. There's a famine that's hit the land. They go into Egypt And he starts a lie that Sarai is his sister, and he starts to really love the possessions of the land. I mean, you go obedience to disobedience, you go belief to disbelief, and that's just what you've seen throughout the whole entire story of Abraham. It's just this pendulum that's swinging. And that's what we see as we're entering into Genesis 17 as well. If you remember last week, we looked at Genesis 16. And chapter 16, you see disobedience and disbelief, right? You have Abram, he's experiencing strife within his marriage. You have all these different things that are going on that leads into him taking Hagar, having Ishmael, and it just creates this huge problem. He's trying to step in and just see the promise Bring, come, bring it to fruition himself. But then Genesis 17 hits, and what do we see that happens here? God draws Abram back in, and what we see is he does it in a pretty significant way, all right? He institutes the marks of his covenant with Abraham, so we've seen him institute. Now you give marks. And what really happens from this passage is it leaves a ripple effect that you see literally throughout the rest of Scripture, And so what I want to do tonight for us is I I want to walk through the story since it's such a a pertinent story for the rest of the Bible. I want us to wrestle with the story, just work through it pretty sequentially here. And I want to look at the marks of the covenant that happen here in this passage. But then I want to come back and I want to connect the marks of this covenant with Abraham to the marks of salvation that we see in our own life. Because there is really strong ties between the two. And so I want to work through both of those things. And I'll try to give us some breaks in between. And then I want to kind of bring it all back together. All right? Do some application. How does this matter to my life here and now? All right? So as we work through the story, um, the marks of the covenant, you're going to see God do three things. All right? It's three R's. So reaffirms the promise. Then he renames the couple of the promise. And then he reinforces the promise with a sign. So we're going to work through these three different movements, and then we'll come back to the marks of our own salvation. So we see God reaffirm the promise in verses 1 through 2. I'll reread it for us so we can really dive in and look at some of the details here. So he says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him, saying, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. All right, so here's, here's the wrestle that I had this week, all right? So this is the third time that we see God come to Abraham with a promise. And I was like, man, this just feels pretty repetitive right now. Like, feel like this is the third time. How do I, one, how do I get up and preach this again? Um, but two, like, what is like, what are you trying to do here? It just feels like constant over and over and over. 
And it, I, I feel like the reason, like, the Lord just kind of, like, helped it set in for me. And the reason I feel that there's repetition that's going on here is because Abraham needs it. Abraham needs the repetition, all right? So just look at this passage. Think about this in the details with me. So you have at the very beginning, we see twice within this passage that God brings up that Abram is 99 years old, all right? So if you look at the end of Genesis 16, Abram's 86. So it's been 13 years since he's heard from God. 13 years And look, Genesis 16 didn't end super well. It wasn't like a bright moment in Abram's life. You have discontentment and you have apathy that's going on in Abram's life. It leads to some of the disobedience and disbelief that we talked about just a couple of moments ago. And so after the end of all this, I'm I'm sure this is like you and I's question that we have all the time with God, but I'm sure Abram was wrestling with it too, is, is God done with me? It's been 13 years since I've heard from God. Last time I heard from him was in my disobedience and disbelief, and is he done with me? And then you get Genesis 17, God shows up, and what does he do? He draws Abram back in, and he assures him, all right? So look, he draws him in in verse one, live in my presence and be blameless. Drawing Abram back in, live in my presence, be blameless. Why is he saying to this? Why is he saying this to Abram? Is he calling Abram to do this in order for salvation, or is he calling Abram to do this because he's already saved? We, if you look at Genesis 15, we already see that God declared Abram as righteous. Why? Because of his faith, not because of his works, right? The circumcision comes in this passage. He was declared righteous in Genesis 15. So look, God's drawing Abram back in. It's not an invitation to earn salvation. It's reminding him he already has it, right? So what what is happening here is you see God coming, drawing Abram back in. Look, Abram, live in my presence. Abram, I've called you out of the darkness into relationship. What is Abram's title in the New Testament? It's the friend of God. So 13 years and God's drawing Abram back in. I called you into relationship, Abram. And look, he's also saying, Abram, look, I have your best interest in mind. Go be blameless. Go be blameless. When we talk with our boys on our house, we have the house rules, just like any good parent would do. Four boys climbing all over everything, jumping off of things. I mean, been to the emergency room too many times, right? We always tell them, hey, the best way for you to have the most fun, to have the greatest joy in our house is to follow our rules. And it's what God is coming back to Abram as he's drawing him in. It's like, look, I called you not to work for me. I called you into relationship. Come be my child, be my friend. Come and live and be blameless before me. Look, you're saved. Come live in the life that I've given you here because it's gonna be the best way for you to experience life to the fullest here in this world. He comes and he draws Abram back in, but then he also moves from there and he assures Abram, Look, if 13 years last experience was disobedience and disbelief, you need assurance, don't you? That's exactly what Abram gets from God. He says, I will set up my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you greatly. Look who's doing the work. Do you see who he says is doing the work? He says it twice. He says, I will set up my covenant. 
between me and you. I will multiply you greatly. He's coming to Abram. He's saying, look, Abram, I'm going to do the work. The promise that I gave you, I'm going to be the one that fulfills it. It's not a matter of you living according to my plans and purposes that's going to bring this about. He's saying, I'm going to do the work. And he assures this by bringing Abram a new name. God gives himself a new name here. It's used six times throughout the scriptures. It's El Shaddai. It means that God is the all-powerful one. Every six time that is used in Genesis, it's always talking about fruitfulness and reproduction. So look, God is coming to Abram and he's saying, look, I'm drawing you back in. Come live with me. Come live in my presence. Follow my commands. Do what I've called you to do. And I'm assuring you that I'm going to bring about the promise that I gave you in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 15. And I'm reassuring it right now. It's going to happen because of me. And here's my name that you can hang your hat on that it's going to come to fruition. I am the almighty God, the all-powerful El Shaddai. And so look, as you're reading this, like uh, imagine being Abram after this, right? I, I feel like we are, so we're thousands of years past this experience that happened in Abram's life, but I feel like you can still hear the ringing of the sigh of relief that comes from Abram as he hears God come back and reassure him and reaffirm the promise. It's like, God hasn't given up on me, right? God truly does care about me. God's going to bring about the promises that he's given me in my life and it's going to be because of his work and not my work. God has been faithful even in my unfaithfulness. You've, like, you can hear just like this sigh of relief and we know that this is what's going on inside of him because we see his response in verse 3. So Abram's reaction to this reaffirmation of the promise is then Abram fell face down. It's like Abram's words fail him, and so his body takes over. His body just throws itself down in thankfulness and worship for what God is doing. And then we see the second R here. So it goes from reaffirming the promise, and now he renames the couple of the promise. We see this with Abram as well as Sarai. So Abram in verses 4 through 5, and then Sarai in verses 15 through 16. And so here's what happens as God renames the, the couple of the promise, we see a new identity as well as inclusion that happens here. All right, let me explain. So verse four through five, here's what uh, is said about Abram's renaming. So um, as for me, here is my covenant with you. This is God speaking to Abram. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I will make you the father of many nations. So in the Hebrew, all that is happening here with Abram's name is the inclusion of one letter. All that's happening is God is adding a letter to Abraham's name, but it completely transforms his identity. All right? So whenever this letter gets added to Abram's name, it plays this word play, all right? And so in the Hebrew, Abraham now sounds a lot like the word in Hebrew that means multitude, all right? 
And so the meaning of this is saying now you are going from exalted father, that's what Abram means, to now it sounds like father of many nations or the father of the multitudes. And here's the difference. Here's the one letter that is given that transforms his whole entire life as well as his identity. It's the letter Hi, which means breath of God. So here's what God is doing with Abraham. All right, he's transforming his identity, but he's also showing Abraham how he's gonna bring about the things that he just called him to in verses one through two. He says this, like, how do you live in my presence, Abraham? I put my breath in you. How do I bring about my purposes in your life, Abraham? I, I put my breath in you. I'm the one that speaks into your life. I'm the one that gives you purpose and meaning and identity. I'm the one that is gonna bring about these things in your life. It transforms Abram's entire life. And so you see this, this new identity that Abraham has now because of God just speaking into his life, bringing, reaffirming the process, but also giving him a new identity. But look, he does the same thing with Sarai. He transforms her life as well. You see this in verses 15 and 16. Here's what God said to Abraham. As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her. Indeed, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will produce nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Look, this is significant too, all right? So from Genesis chapter 3, We've seen humanity has had a struggle with the gender tension that takes place because of the fall. There's not one single society since Genesis chapter 3 that has gotten the gender tension right. The idea that we are created equal but different, right? But here's the thing that you see with God. God always gets it right. Not once has God failed in the way that he's created man and woman and the way that he uses them throughout redemptive history. And we see the same thing that happens here, all right? So it starts with Eve in Genesis chapter 3, right? Like Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall that takes place. And after the fall takes place, what happens with Eve? Eve is named, the, Eve gets her name and it means the giver of life. And then we see the same thing happen here with Sarai where there's an injection of meaning that's given to her. So here's what's significant that takes place here, right? God changes Sarai's name to Sarah, and it's the only time throughout all of Scripture that we see God change the name of a woman. The only time that God changes the name of a woman throughout all of Scripture is right here. So Sarai, which means princess, now goes to the mother of kings. And look, the timing's significant, all right? <laughs> look, every time that God is dealing with our sin problem and he's taking steps towards redeeming us, look, he's using not just men, but he's using women to, women to bring about his purposes and his promises. So look, in a society where we feel these gender tensions, right? In a society where it, we feel the heights of what men ruling over women in a, a just 
ugly way, and then women trying to belittle or to supersede men as well and not living in the tension that God has created us to experience in our relationship with one another. God does it perfectly each time throughout redemptive history. And look, it's like God is saying whenever people are telling women to go home, sometimes even churches, and it's ugly, right? When The message is go home. God is saying, no, you have a place here with me and I have plans for you. That's what he's saying to women every single time that you see God working throughout redemptive history. And so it's significant. Like you see new identity, but you also see inclusion that happens here. It's like I created you with with such worth and significance and dignity that whenever I bring about my purposes, I'm using the men and women that I've brought into this world. And like, man, I want to be that church, right? Like, I'm jumping ahead to some application. I'll, I'll do application in a little bit. But like, man, like, this is what I want to be. Like, this is what we want to be. Like, hey, men, step up. Step up and lead. Like, step up and fill positions. Usually we see that women have been the, the backbone of the church because men have stepped away from leadership in the life of the church. Like, men, step up. Like, God has a plan for you. He has a purpose. He has a desire for you to lead in the church. But look, that's not at the exclusion of you women. Like, God has a place for you here. We need you. We need you to lead as well. We need you to step up and play into the roles that God has given you here in the life of the church. Whenever we see that happen, both men and women, God is glorified. The church is beautiful. And we get that here. All right, so before I move on from the names, I need one more thing, all right? So one more thing about the names here. It forces Abram and Sarai, Abraham and Sarai, to live their faith. It forces them to live their faith. Think about the reality that they have to live into after God tells Abram, you're no longer Abram, you're actually Abraham, and Sarai, you're now Sarah. They have to go back to their household and tell about 400 people that are a part of their household that their names have changed. Their reality hasn't changed yet, but their whole household now knows their names and they have to live their faith. Abram has to go, hey, it's no longer Abram, it's now Abraham. Well, father of nations, interesting. Sarai, no, it's Sarah now. Interesting. The mother of kings? But look at... They have to live their faith. They have to live out their faith. Look, God doesn't let them hide from their new identity. He makes them live in it. And we need to face that reality too. We'll come back to that in a little bit, but we need to see it here, all right? So God reaffirms the promise. God renames the couple of the promise. Then lastly, we see God reinforce the promise in verse 10. Here's what it says. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. And here's the fun part. Everyone of your males must be circumcised, all right? So here's the benefit of preaching through books of the Bible, all right, we get to live into it. And so um, my wife has uh, had four boys, and so she has uh, said that she would love to talk with you women about this if, she, if you have any desires. Uh, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. Um, I, I, here's my goal. I just don't want to scar you <laughs> as we work through this. I have a youth pastor that came, and he brought a knife and a sharpener whenever he worked through this passage, and it scarred me for life. I have no objects, and look, 
kids are up in the kids area, right? No scars that are going to be happening here, right? So, like, why circumcision, right? Why? And why there, you know? Like, why circumcision and why there, right? So, here's what circumcision is. It's a physical reminder that they, these people, that God is going to birth this new nation out of, they're to be set apart from the world. Literally, they're to be cut and they're to be different. Their life should not mirror that of the rest of the world, but should follow in obedience to life lived with God. That's what's happening with why circumcision. And why there? Like, why not a chunk off the ear? Why not just a lob off the shoulder? Like, there's other ways, right? Well, look, sin is hereditary, not necessarily in the physical, but in the spiritual, all right? We inherit a sinful nature, right? And what's the reproductive organ that brings about the carrying on of generations? Well, God is trying to show that there is a sin problem that needs to be dealt with at the heart level that needs to be removed from the generations that are to follow. And so here's, here's what circumcision is. It's just an outward side, outward sign of the inward reality that God is accomplishing through redemptive history. That's what circumcision is here. And so God gives the sign of the covenant here to Abraham to show the world and to Abram and all the people that are going to come after him, this is what I'm doing in the world. I'm going to deal with your sin problem. Now, this isn't a means of salvation by works. We see this wrestled with in the New Testament. We can see this from the very outset because Deuteronomy 10, 16 says this, therefore circumcise your hearts and don't be stiff-necked any longer. So it's not a, hey, I'm going to, you do this to your physical body and then you're in my right graces. God is doing this as an outward sign of an inward reality that he's going to bring to fruition throughout redemptive history. All right. So Here's what, what's Abram's response? We see this in verse 23. Abram took his son Ishmael and those born in his household or purchased and every male among the members of Abraham's household and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin. There's that word again. And on that very day, just as God had said to him, Abraham obeyed. All right, so here's, here's what is happening here with this story, all right? So the whole entire story my family growing up, we were lake people. We would go to this lake in uh, Arkansas called Beaver Lake, and there was this cove that we would go to called Big Clifty. And so my brother and I, we would always bring friends with us, and we would go climb up this mountain at Big Clifty. And it's probably about 30 feet in height, and we would jump off of it. Before we, but before we would do that, just being teenagers, we'd always go to try to find the biggest boulder that we could, and we'd try to push it off the side to see just how big of a splash we can make, right? And so this cove that was usually just glass, right? The water's just still. We have to disrupt it because we're teenagers and we have to get the aggression out. And so we get the boulders and we would throw them off into the water and it would make a big splash, but then the ripples would just be felt throughout the entire cove as well, right? And that's what, exactly what happens here. Throughout this story, we see God creates this massive ripple effect with this covenant that he instills, the marks of the covenant that happened here with Abraham. And we see the ripple effect throughout the rest of scripture. And so 
A couple of times we've seen that God has instituted covenants with his people. So in Noah, you saw a covenant that happened. You have the sign of that covenant as the rainbow. Now you have it with Abraham and you get the sign of circumcision. And we haven't talked about this yet, but God also establishes a covenant with us. And it's time for us to talk about it because it makes sense with everything that God has done within this story, all right? So just as God has established his covenant with Abraham, he also establishes a covenant with us. It's called the new covenant. And we see this in Jeremiah 31. It's a forecasting of what God is gonna do. And let me just give you some snippets from it. I don't have it on the screen. I'll just read it to you, okay? Here's what it says. Look, the days are coming when I will make a new covenant with you. So we're not like very creative people You get the new covenant here because it says new covenant, right? Verse 33, I'll put my teaching within you and write it on your hearts. Again, in 33, I'll be your God and you will be my people. And then 34, for I will forgive you your iniquity and never again remember your sin. So how does God do this? How does God bring about this new covenant for us here today? Well, he kept his promises to Abraham and Sarah. God brings about the new covenant because he kept his promises to Abraham and Sarah. Look, God makes Sarah not only the mother of kings, but he, she, God makes her the mother of the king of kings. Jesus is Sarah's great offspring. The great, the Lord of lords, the king of kings comes from Sarah. And God makes Abraham a blessing to the nations just as we saw that he promised he would in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis 15 and again here in Genesis 17 because salvation comes from his family line. But God makes peace with sinners through Jesus The greatest synopsis that you get of this in the New Testament is 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness being the very standing that Abraham had because of his faith looking forward to Jesus. And we have that same righteousness by looking back on the fulfillment of that promise and Jesus coming and doing everything that we needed him to do for us. This is how we get the new covenant. And all the markers that we see here in the covenant with Abraham, we also see to a greater extent in the covenant that God has made with us in this new covenant. And so for your viewing pleasure, hopefully an internet's been in and out. There should be, yeah, there it is. I got a chart for you for your viewing pleasure. All right. So what you see here, I've tried to show you how you have the same things that happen for us in Jesus in the new covenant with what God has done in Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. All right. So you see in the Abrahamic covenant, assurance is grace. God is the one that does all the work. Abraham is not the one that does the work. It's Abraham. It's God that does the work. And Abraham's identity is changed. Why? Because breath of God is put inside of Abraham. You get the sign of circumcision. This is what I'm doing throughout human history. I'm going to remove the heart sin problem that you have. And this is an outward sign for it. And then we see the text that it happens. You get the new covenant, also assurance of grace. Jesus has done everything for us, right? Look, assurance, God meets Abraham with the grace and assurance that is needed. It's God's promise, I will do everything for us. In Christ, God seals us with grace and assurance because he says, I have done everything. 
for you in the new covenant, right? You have the identity that happens here. God changes Abraham's identity. I'm putting my breath inside of you. Then we see God changes our identity by putting Christ in us. That's Paul's favorite phrase throughout the New Testament. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. And then you get the sign as well. God gives Abraham circumcision as the sign of the covenant. It's the outward expression of the inward need for purity. God gives us a sign of the new covenant in baptism. And this is the outward display that it says, the outward expression of the inward reality that we are pure in Christ. Because you've been united with him in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Look, the, the covenant with Abraham was hopeful. The new covenant that we have in Christ Jesus is hope-filled. Do you feel that? It's not us looking forward with anticipation of what God is necessarily going to do. We do know that Jesus is coming back. We look forward to that day. But we look back on how God has already filled it. And so we are hope-filled people, right? And so look, here's what it... As I was wrestling with this this week, it was like, I feel like I've, I've just given you a bunch of puzzle pieces. <laughs> and like, here's where I want to try to like put the puzzle together, all right? And it's in our application, right? Because we need this story today. Like you, every single person, every butt in the seat needs this story today. Because look, Abraham's life is the pendulum that swings, but so is ours. Our life is the pendulum that swings, I mean, you look at the, the struggle between belief and disbelief and obedience and disobedience. Look, that's our same reality, isn't it? I mean, that's why you have Romans 7 and Romans 8 smack dab right next to each other. That's like our experience reality. You think about self-control in your life, and then one moment it's like, man, I'm doing well. My struggle with lust or my relationship that I'm in, I'm doing well. We've done everything that I can. I've put up all the safeguards on my computer. I've done it. We've tried to build all the barriers in our relationship, and then boom, you find yourself in a situation is like, how did I get here, right? Or you have like your struggle um, with patience in the home, right? Like you have, it's like, if we're in this good place with sleep in the house, right? And like people are nice and we're getting along. And then like, man, the nights hit. The kids are up. You don't have sleep. And then the next thing you know, you're like at your spouse's throat. You're yelling at your kids and you're like, how did I get here, Right? Like, you have these moments where, like, you have obedience and then disobedience in your life, and you're like, man, like, things are going so well. Like, I, I just see how I'm living into faith, and it's like, God surely is for me, and then, boom, hardship hit, hits, like, the house, right? Like, things start breaking, your life starts breaking, the things that you, have, you thought were solid are now, like, very shifty, and it's like, God, are you even there? God, like, where are you? What, what happened? Like, how did I get here? It's the pendulum, right? I mean, it's just swinging back and forth. We feel this in our life. Like, you need this story just as much as Abraham needed everything that happened in this story. Look, you need this story. And the beauty of the reality is I think God wants to speak this into you and remind you of the marks of your salvation, right? 
Just as Abram needed these assurances, like, look, we need it too. Here's what this passage should tell us, all right? You have assurance, so rest assured. For those of you that have trusted in the work of Jesus, look, you have assurance, so rest assured. Look, you didn't earn your way into a relationship with God, and that also means you can't earn your way out of relationship with God. I love this quote by Peter Craig. It says, rest is a person, not a place. Look, believer, you can rest in Jesus. The deep sigh of relief that we can still hear ringing from Abraham's life is the same sigh of relief that you and I should express. <sighs> Thank you, God. Jesus is the El Shaddai, the all-powerful, mighty God. His life and his death and his resurrection has done everything for you. And so look, your, your response is like, God, he really does have me. The commitment that I see that he had with Abraham here in this passage is the same commitment that he has expressed to you in Jesus Christ. You have assurance. So Christian, rest assured. Take a deep breath. Secondly, look, you have Christ in you, so wear your name. Live your faith. Abraham and Sarah had to wear their names and they had to live in faith. And look, that's the same thing that God's called us to do. You are a Christian Christ in you. That is your identity. That is your present reality. We look forward with an anticipation where it becomes our full experience, but it's still yours here and now. So here's a couple of questions. Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't get away from it. They had to go and express their new name. Look, the people that God's placed in your life, do they know that you're a Christian? Like, do, do they know your story? Do they know the work of redemption that God has done in your life? If they do, when's the last time you talked about it? Right? When's the last time? Look, I'm not calling you to be the weird Christian that's trying to work Jesus into every conversation that you have, but it's just as weird if you never talk about him. Wear your name. Live your faith. You have Christ in you. So live your faith. Wear your name. And then number three, God has your best in mind, so take your next step. God has your best in mind, so take your next step. Look, I, look, I trust that the Holy Spirit is inside of you. Like, I believe that if God is, like, doing what he says he promises he's going to do in his word, that he's doing something in each and every single one of us in this room. His word does not return back void. And so, look, I believe he's doing it. If you need help, though, if you need help, if you take what God instructs Abraham, live in my presence and be blameless, maybe here's your next step. One, it's patterns of fellowship with God. Live in my presence. Look, have, have you deviated away from spending time with God? Like, is there like gap in space 
in relationship between you and God, time that you spent in fellowship with the God who spoke you into existence, the one that carried out your salvation from the beginning before the world was even created and carried it all the way into existence and look, is gonna bring it to completion when Jesus comes back again, is there separation in fellowship right now? The next step for you is to come back just the same way that God drew Abram back in. Look, he has the same invitation for you. Come back to his word. Spend time with him in prayer. You are the friend of God. He saved you for relationship. Look, God is constantly working and he's constantly pressing in with you. He is, like creation speaks of him. Everything in your life, that the, the circumstances that are happening in your life, it's God working to draw you back into himself. So look, will you listen? Will you step back into fellowship? It's your next step. Maybe you've done that, and maybe your next step is steps of faithfulness. Like you had circumcision, which is a sign of the covenant. We have the baptism that's the sign of the new covenant. Maybe you haven't got wet yet. <laughs> Maybe you haven't taken the step. God's done the work inside of you. You've, you've expressed faith and belief in Jesus. But look, we see throughout the pattern of the New Testament is people that have given their life to Jesus, they go and they're baptized before a people expressing the work that God has done inside of them as a public witness, outside of them to those that are with them, saying what God has done inside of you, he's also done inside of me. And if you haven't taken that next step, it may be your next step. In discipleship with Jesus, and Jesus being your Lord, and following a faithful step with our Jesus, it may be taking the step towards baptism. We love baptisms here. Look, I know it can be awkward. You get in front of people and you have to get wet and like people are standing up and hooting and hollering. But look, it's a witness to what Christ has done in your life. It shows that resurrection is still happening. So look, it may be your next step, but do it with joy and faithfulness because it's God's call in your life, all right? So look, Abraham's covenant was hopeful. The new covenant is hope-filled. Live into it, Christian. You have assurance, so rest assured. You have Christ in you, so wear your name, live your faith. And lastly, God is your best in mind, and like you can take your next step. It's, it's not a like working your way to God. It's a working out of the love that you already have in him. Let's pray.